Back in the late 1940s, there was a little restaurant outside of Atlanta, appropriately named the Dwarf Grill. Little bitty old place. And a couple brothers uh, had opened this restaurant and they were working on developing their menu. And they came up with a recipe for a chicken sandwich. And over the next 70 years, that chicken sandwich would change so much of what we think about when we think of fast food restaurants. Truett Cathy invented the chicken sandwich. And we know the story is Chick-fil-A. Now, they didn't just come up with a good product. As many of you know, Truett, the founder of Chick-fil-A, was a Christian who believed the Bible, who was involved in his church, First Baptist Church in Jonesburg, Georgia. And he built this restaurant chain on the basis of biblical principles. And he did it because he believed biblical principles worked. Now, if you've been to the restaurant, you probably have picked up on the most significant biblical principle at play in the restaurant. And there is a phrase that if you go there, you hear every time you're there that embodies that biblical principle. I bet we could all say that phrase you hear every time you're there. My pleasure. You've heard it. That, that phrase just embodies the biblical principle of servanthood. And Chick-fil-A has built their company on servanthood. In fact, they're so strict about the kind of people that are employed there that if you're going to be employed there, it's a pretty strict process to go through. If you're going to be an operator of a Chick-fil-A, it is very invasive. Figuring out kind of life that you live because servanthood is not just a business strategy. It needs to be a lifestyle. And so they go through all kinds of steps to determine if a person's a fit. In fact, Chick-fil-A says, we don't hire people, we select people. They have so many thousands more people interested in being operators than what they have positions to fill. And so they have the opportunity to choose the people that have the right kind of lifestyle. And it's basically a lifestyle of serving other people. It's interesting to me that they're basing that on the biblical principle of servanthood and that it's affected how they do everything they do so much so that everybody in that place just seems to love serving other people. It's like they just live to serve people that walk in that place. They love their jobs. Did you know the retention rate? This is what I heard. The retention rate of hourly employees at Chick-fil-A is 80%. The retention rate of operators is 97%. They love their jobs. Now, I love Chick-fil-A. I love the food. I love the shakes. I love everything about the place. But regardless of what you think about the place, if you drive by there when it's mealtime, you can tell something's going on that's special in that place. There are lines like crazy, and people don't mind waiting in line. And every time you see a long line of people, you see a whole bunch of people out there just smiling and saying, my pleasure. They have built this thing on the biblical principle of servanthood and has been marvelously successful. Now, I tell you that story because we all like stories like that. We like stories that are just fascinating and special and successful. In fact, what we really like even more than hearing about a story like that is finding ourselves a part of a story like that. So this summer, we've been talking about having the best summer ever. 
And I feel like it's kind of picked up traction and people are just talking about and trying to do things about, you know, having the best summer ever. So I'm wondering about you. Have you been thinking about how you can have the best summer ever? You've been doing some things with your family, with your kids, with your grandkids. Have you been trying to implement things so that you have the best summer ever? Part of the reason I think that this concept of best summer ever is picked up traction in our church families because we all want to be a part of a story that can be summarized by saying, I'm having the best summer ever. I mean, I mean really, who wants to have the worst summer ever? <laughs> I, I want to have the best summer ever. I want to be part of that kind of story. I found myself actually saying things like, uh, this is the best meal ever. This is the best experience ever. I have the best wife ever. You know, I mean, do you find yourself using that phrase to describe things? We want to be a part of that kind of a story. And as I've been thinking over the last several weeks about having the best summer ever, a lot of my thoughts have gone towards what it would be like to be a part of the best church ever. Now, I, I want you to hear me clearly this morning. I love our church family. I love who we are. I love who we're becoming. But, but I, I want to be a part of a story that is best described as we are the best church ever. What I mean by the best church ever is we are the church that God intends us to be. I, I want to be a part of that. And I think we all do. I mean, isn't that what you want? I think we all want the same thing. We want to be a part of the best church ever. Again, who wants to be a part of the worst church ever? That's not what any of us want. We, we want to be a part of the best church ever. So here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to use God's word to encourage each of us to play our part in being the best church ever. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, a few verses in Ephesians chapter 4, because Ephesians is a letter that God has given us in the scripture that encourages us as a church family to be the best church ever. When you get to chapter 4, you start hearing these encouragements and admonitions to be the best church ever. And so I want to start out just by looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read verse 7. So let's look at verse 7 in chapter 4. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7 talks about and introduces the idea that every single member of the church has received a grace gift. And it's a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, a lot of times gifts can really be best calibrated, evaluated by the giver of the gift. In verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians 4, it's a description of Jesus Christ that he is God who became flesh. 
took on flesh, became a man who died and then rose again from the dead. And he demonstrated in his death and resurrection that he has the ability and the power to give a gift that can change your life forever. And so he has given to every member of the church a grace gift that changes who you are. Now, in order to understand Ephesians 4, the concept of grace gift to every member of the church, we need to make sure we understand the foundational grace gift that is, that is talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. So flip back over with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 7. This is our introduction to the foundational grace gift that God offers everyone. So here it is, verse 7. In Jesus Christ... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. God offers the grace gift of salvation to everyone so that anyone through faith in Jesus Christ can become a part of the church. This last week, I had the opportunity to do some salmon fishing. I was off taking some, a break and doing some salmon fishing. and I wanted to catch a salmon on my fly rod. And so I spent hours, day after day, trying to catch a salmon on my fly rod to no avail. And it was so frustrating because generally I'm a pretty good fly fisherman. But in this case, I was a complete and utter failure. And I got so frustrated with it after a few days, I decided I'm going to give up. And I packed up my fly rod and I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. And then one night after supper, I walked out to the bank of the river. And believe it or not, right there at our camp at the bank of the river were two guys fly fishing. And one of the guys caught a salmon right there in front of me. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I've been doing this for days. And this guy comes up and so... And so I walk up, and believe it or not, they were fly fishing guides. You know what I thought immediately? They know what I need to know. And I just walked up and I said, look, I, I'd like to have some help. I have no clue what I'm doing here. I've been working at this to no avail. I've not been able to catch anything. Would you be willing to help me? And so that guy says, sure. Hey, can I ask you a few questions? So he starts asking me questions about what I've been doing, what I've been using. And he identifies everything that's wrong real quickly and he tells me well here's what's wrong and he says hey why don't you go get your fly rod come down here and i'll help you get set up i'm like whoa this is awesome so i literally you know practically run back to my my tent i unpack the fly rod i come down there and i just give it to him i say here you go and he takes it and he fixes it um, like it's supposed to be he gives me everything i need and I'm not exaggerating. Minutes later, casts later, I catch the largest fish I've ever caught on a fly rod. It was awesome. So, so yeah, it was really cool. So he, here's, here's the thing. We cannot do anything to make up for our sin. We, we can't work hard enough. 
We can't do good things enough. There is nothing we can do on our own to save ourselves. We are completely incapable of creating enough good works to overcome the sin in our lives. We cannot do it. But you know what we can do? We can tell God that we need him. We can confess to God our sins. And we can agree with God with what God says is wrong with us. And we can just give God our lives. And he will give us exactly what we need. And when he gives us exactly what we need, it changes everything. God's first grace gift offered to us is the gift of salvation that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us, rose from the dead so that we might be saved. If you're going to have the grace gift in Ephesians 4, you got to first receive the grace gift in Ephesians 1. And the grace gift in Ephesians 1 is a unique and particular gift. You ever received an airline voucher? You ever had one of those? When you get an airline voucher, it's good for an airline ticket. And what's interesting about an airline voucher is that if you have the voucher, you can at any point turn that voucher in and redeem it for an airline ticket, right? Now, let's say that you have an airline voucher and you get upset at the airline. And you post on social media that you can't stand that airline. You tell your friends that you're mad about that airline. But you decide that you're ready to get that ticket. And you've been living in a way that doesn't even give any, any compliments to that airline. But the moment you decide you want that ticket, you just walk up and you turn in that voucher and you get that ticket. It doesn't matter how you've been treating that airline, right? The grace gift of salvation is not like a voucher. It's more like an exchange. The, the grace gift of salvation that you receive through faith in Jesus Christ is an exchange. Where when you put your faith in Christ and he gives you the grace gift of salvation, that in receiving that gift... He purchases your life so that he can create an exchange. And here's what he exchanges. He takes our sin and death, and in its place, he gives us his righteousness and his life. So we have effectively earned through our sin the wage of death and through trusting in Christ we receive a grace gift that creates an exchange so that the death we earned is replaced by the life of Christ and the sin we once owned is replaced by the righteousness of Christ. So now we're caught up in a whole different story, the very kind of story we know we were made to be a part of. Grace gift. You can't get Ephesians 4 grace gift until you get Ephesians 1 grace gift. And that comes simply by placing your faith in Jesus Christ.
Now, now the Ephesians 4 grace gift is, is a gift that God gives to everyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. So if today you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. And if you're a part of the church, Christ has given you a grace gift according to the measure that only Christ is capable of giving. It's a measure that can change your life. About 20 years ago, Lindley gave me a birthday gift. And it was, it was a fantastic gift. It was a gift of a fly-tying class. And so I received that gift from her, and she knew that I received it from her because I showed up for the class. And I went through the class, and I learned how to tie flies. Now, little did I know when I received that gift that that gift would, over the next 20 years, enable me to tie flies for tons of people. I've tied hundreds of flies that I've given away to people that they've been able to use to fly fish. See, little did I know that the gift I received would turn me into a gift. That's this second grace gift. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then Christ has given you a grace gift that transforms you into a gift so that we can be the best church ever. So let's read about that. Let's look at verse 11. We start seeing more about this gift. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, that's the believers, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I love those verses. Those verses tell us that Christ gave to the church its leaders so that its leaders could help every member of the church employ their lives in service to each other so that through that service to each other, under the grace of God's gifts, we can become the church God intends us to be so that the fullness of Christ is on display in the community in which our church exists. You catch that? God gave to FBG its leaders so that its leaders could help every member who has received the grace gift of Jesus Christ to serve so that we might as a church become the church God intended us to be so that we might be on display for the community to see the fullness of Christ. You, you know what that means? Until everyone who has received the grace gift of salvation employs the grace gift 
of serving each other in the church, we will never be the church God intends us to be. You know, as, a, as an adult, you go through seasons of life, right? And I think the older you get, the more you recognize those different seasons as you look back on life. And I think about the season of life that was perhaps one of the most challenging seasons so far in my life, Lindley's life, our life as a married couple. And it was that season where we went from two kids to three kids when all the kids were in diapers or pull-ups. You know, you, know you, you can handle it when you're doing man-to-man defense, but when you go to zone coverage, th- things become a little bit more challenging. And when we went to three kids all in diapers and pull-ups, it was really challenging. I mean, sleep debt was just the common experience in our lives. And you couldn't, you couldn't pay back enough sleep to make up for the sleep debt. And, you, you know, it's just a challenging time of life. And it's interesting to think about when you're in that kind of scenario and there's two of you who are giving and three of you who are taking more than two of you can give, it wears you out. Are you with me? So here are the, the funny mile markers when you're in that season. Like you celebrate the day that your first kid can brush their own teeth, can put their PJs on, go get in bed. You're like, this is the greatest day ever. You think it's incredible when your kids can pick out their clothes and dress themselves. Like we have found so much freedom. You know, it's just unbelievable how amazing those mile markers are. And and so fast forward about 20 years. And now in our family, we've got these children that are, you know, adult age, and we're adding to our families. Some of our kids are getting married, and believe it or not, they're actually thinking about paying their own bills. (laughs) Thinking about it. When we all get together, and the whole family's together, and you know, our, our new son-in-law and our future daughter-in-law are there. We're all together. It's such a different experience than when our three kids were one, three, and five. Because everybody's chipping in and contributing and, and adding to the experience and doing their part. And it's just, it's just better for everybody. Think about our church. I love our church. But we'll not be the best church ever until everyone who's received the grace gift of salvation employs the grace gift of serving each other right here. You know, I I heard recently that the average attender If you think of somebody who says, I identify with First Baptist. This is the church I go to. This is my church. Their average attendance is two Sundays a month now. When I heard that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. And I think that's, that's pretty accurate. I think there are 
probably a large number of people that attend our church that attend two to three times per month. And they see themselves as being very engaged, like this is my church. So there's that category of attendance. And then, the, then there's the category of attendance where there are people in our church who attend for two, three, four months at a time, and then they're gone for two, three, four months at a time. And sometimes I wonder if the pattern of attendance that is kind of a part of the culture we're in right now does not lend itself to people thinking, I'm simply not here enough to jump in and serve. I, I don't know how to fix all of that, but this is what I do know. No matter what your pattern of attendance is, I just want to affirm that when you're here, we need you to serve. Because we'll never be the church God intends us to be until everyone who's received the grace gift of salvation employs the grace gift of service. And I want to be a part of that kind of story, don't you? Sometimes it's not attendance. Sometimes it's what we think about ourselves. Some of us have some stories in our past, and some of those stories in our past make us think that we can't really do much now. Some of us have stories about current struggles, and we feel like we're struggling in an area spiritually or relationally. And because of that struggle, we feel like, you know, I'm not sure that I can really serve. Whether it's how much you attend, how bad your past is, or how significant your current struggle is, I want to remind you that our ability to serve each other is based on a grace gift. You, you have been given as a gift the grace of God that enables you to be the gift to each other that we all need. You know, there are some of you that attend here and you attend quite frequently and when you're here you are working really hard and some of you are serving to the degree that you're doing the job of two or three people and I just want to tell you thank you but stop doing that like do what God has called you to do and stop trying to do what two or three people should be doing. Now, I, I want to give you a sense of encouragement here. I understand why you're compelled to do that. You see what Christ has done for you and you just want to give your life away. But here's what I want to encourage you to think about is you, you, you won't last for the long haul if you're doing the work of two to three people. And you actually won't create the space that people will be able to see the need for them to jump in. So, so I understand that 
A lot of times you may be doing more than what you really are supposed to be doing because other people are not doing what they should be doing. So here's what I need from all of us. I need all of us to decide I am going to respond to the grace gift of God and do something. And when I'm doing something, I'm going to do the something that God's called me to do and trust him to bring other people along to do what they're supposed to do. So if you're here this morning and you're not serving out of the grace gift that God has given you and you've received the grace gift of salvation, I just want to, as gently as I can, encourage you to step out and start serving. If you've not found your place, I want to encourage you to start looking for it like it's a long lost treasure. Because the Bible tells you it is a treasure. And when you find it, you are rich beyond measure. If you've not stepped up to volunteer, if you're one of those persons, and a lot of us are like this, are waiting for someone to ask us to do something, I just want to encourage you to recognize that although your leaders and pastors are striving to do the best we can to help you employ your gift of grace, stop waiting on us. Because we, we, we don't have it all figured out. Like, like, we don't know everything you should be doing, but you know what God is calling you to do. You know what God has gifted you to do. You know your experiences and your skills. And we just need you to jump in there and get busy and try something and do something. We need you to think about it like you think about breathing. Do, do you have to consciously think, okay, i got to breathe. Okay, I gotta breathe again. I gotta breathe again. No, you don't, you just breathe because you know you're, you're designed to have to breathe to live. And so you just breathe. I want you to think of serving like that because the Bible communicates clearly to us that serving is life. You experience life in serving. You see, Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And in serving, he gave us the example of how we find life. Employing a grace gift. So that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for Christ in serving each other. On the plane ride home from my trip this last week, I came in, I sat down next to this guy, and on his shirt, he had a, an emblem or whatever it said, Andy's Frozen Custard. Y'all, y'all tried Andy's? That's good. I like that stuff. And so I sat down next to this guy, and I was like, hey, I like me some Andy's Frozen Custard. That stuff is really good. And he goes, well, that's cool. Thanks for saying that. I'm like, wait a minute. What do you have to do with Andy's frozen custard? He goes, well, I'm Andy. <laughs> I was like, for real? You got any free coupons? <laughs> so I start talking to Andy 
And I asked him all these kinds of questions about his company. And it started 30 years ago with one little store that was open part-time. And uh, he and his mom and dad were just working away doing frozen custard. And 30 years later, they got 60-some-odd stores all over the nation. He was telling me about all this stuff. And it was a remarkable story. And I asked him this question. I said, hey, if you could summarize the secret to your success, how would you describe it? That's what he said our product, and our service. They care about their customers. They care about their employees. And they have a great product. And because of that, Andy has a story to tell about 60-some-odd communities that are affected by what they're offering the community. So I want to be a part of a story like that. I, th I think that's what God's doing here. But I want to be a part of the best church ever. Don't you? I, I want the community to drive by our campus and think to themselves, what in the world is going on there? I want people to meet people that are part of our church and say, oh, I know about you people over at First Baptist. You guys serve each other unbelievably. Our community would not be the same without you. I want our church to be the church God intends it to be. But here's the thing. We'll never be the best church ever until everyone who's received the grace gift of salvation employs their grace gift as a gift to each other. This week, won't you drive down Williams about lunchtime? Look over at Chick-fil-A. You're going to see a long line. You're going to see people out there with smiles, and they're going to be saying, my pleasure, over and over again. You know, just like I know, that we've got the best product in the world right here. There's nothing like the message of Jesus Christ. But what we need is a church packed full of people who say again and again, my pleasure. Don't you want to be a part of that story? I'm grateful that God has planted us here at this time to be a part of this story. Do not miss God's grace gifts.